these Sunday evenings, we are um, looking at wisdom in a digital age, um, what it is uh, to swim in these digital waters that we live in now, social media, internet. Um, Dan, you grew up with this, didn't you? You've not known anything else. Yeah, I'm only 19. So. <laughs> the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The internet has always been. Since I was born, yeah. Since you were born. Yeah. See, I remember a time pre-internet. I remember a time pre-mobile phones. Um, Do you remember that time? <laughs> Absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So there was a time in the distant past um, where mobile phones did not exist and um, where um, the internet didn't exist. And... So the, the transformation of society over these last decades has been phenomenal. And your generation has grown up with it and swims in these waters without knowing anything different. My generation um, grew up in a very different way and experienced different things. And so it has deeply, deeply affected us. It's affected our walk, our lives. It's affected our minds, our brains. It's affected everything. It's affected um, the church. It's affected everything that we do. And one of the things we've got to do is consider how we react and interact with media, technology, and so on. So that's what this series is about on Sunday evenings. And um, we've based it on a book by Brett McCracken called The Wisdom Pyramid. And the concept of that is um, he, he saw the food pyramid that was recommended uh, that, that for a balanced diet that you eat certain things in certain proportions to have a healthy diet. And he took that and he created this wisdom pyramid uh, so that we would have a, a healthy diet of information. So we're going to show a little video now uh, that, um, that Hamish started us off on a couple of weeks ago. Paul showed us it last week. It just kind of explains the wisdom pyramid and we'll start by watching that together. If he is the definition of wisdom, then it makes sense that his direct revelation to us should be the foundational layer of our pyramid. Next up is the church. This is God's people across time, our local church, the body of Christ on earth. It should be an invaluable source of wisdom for us. And then nature, God's creation. Scripture says, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. God's creation should reveal things to us about the Creator. And so if we spend time outside, instead of on our devices, we can pick up a little wisdom there. And then books. This is kind of an obvious one if you think about becoming wise, read books. But I think especially older books, books that have stood the test of time, is important for our wisdom. And then beauty. Art, music, things that help us reflect, focus, be attentive to the world around us. Wisdom is not just about facts, it's also about feelings and emotions and kind of that intangible level that beauty can provide. And then finally, at the top of the wisdom pyramid, which is the least important, is the internet and social media. It's not that that can never be a source of truth, but we need to be careful and we need to use it sparingly. Don't make it the staple of your diet. So that's it, that's the Wisdom Pyramid. It's really just a guide to help us be discerning in our media habits, in the things that are speaking into our hearts and minds. We need Christians of all people to be growing in wisdom and not following the ways of the world. Great, so that's just a good overview. And the last two weeks, uh, in the first week, Hamish and uh, Cole interrupted, inter, 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 
um, introduced is the word. <laughs> Such a difficult word. Introduced us to uh, the, this whole concept, and uh, he talked about three areas that uh, we struggle in, in in information. We'll come to that in a moment. And then last week, Paul and, and Megan and Sam, they talked about those two first layers, the Bible, and what really came across there was, it was in their chat and in their interaction with one another was a love of God's word and how that's really transformed and changed uh, Sam and Megan's uh, relationship with God and, and, and falling in love with the word of God and the church as well as a nourishing place of wisdom and interaction that as we meet together, we grow in wisdom. So that's what we've been looking at the last two weeks. But the, there were three things, uh, Dan, that Hamish introduced us on uh, to in the, in the first week. Can you remember what the first one was uh, as far as information is concerned? Yeah, so Hamish said that we can have too much information. Um, we've taken too much information. We can take it in too fast and it's too focused on us, yeah? Yeah, so the first one is TMI, yeah. too much information. So give us some stats on that. And if you think about what we are, what we are taking in information-wise compared to what, what I grew up with uh, and what we actually uh, take in now as far as information, give us some stats, Dan, as far as um, some of our interaction with, with media. Right. So approximately, we look at the internet two and a half hours a day which if you do the maths is then 17 hours a week, three days a month, and approximately 37 days a year. Um, We're interacting with the internet. That's, that's the internet. That's the average. That's the internet average. That's 37 days, so that's over days. a month yeah. a year. One of our months, one out of 12 months of yeah. our life, every year Crazy. spent on the internet. So that's a, lot of, that's a lot of information. <laughs> um, and then if we think about our phones, that's... Uh, it says about four and a half hours a day average on your phone, um, which is yeah about a third, well, a third of our waking hours yeah. roughly. Yeah. Um, and then think about how much information we and how many like words we read a day. It says we read about a novel's worth of words every day, yeah. um, which is quite a lot of information. So, 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 yeah. so we are we are bombarded <laughs> by information, uh, too much information. Um, and uh, we, we have to process that every day, a novel's worth of information, uh, 24 hours a day news feeds. So if you ever drive somewhere for five, six hours and listen to the radio and hear the news over and over and over, it drives you crazy. Uh, so Hamish laid that foundation for us as far as information. It's just too much. We, we, we're just imbibing so much information constantly. The second one, uh, Dan, was... Too, too fast. Too fast. Taking too fast. Yeah, we're, we're just, the processing of information is so much. There's a book called In the Shallows that talks about this, and it says that we are, our brains now are being wired for digital distraction. Um, so it says in that book, the more we use the web, the more we train our brain to be distracted, uh, to process information very quickly and very efficiently, but without sustained attention. So just this constant flow of information uh, constant skimming, uh, whether it's on Facebook or social media feeds or Twitter feeds or news feeds. It's just constant skimming across the surface, but not really digging down into anything with sustained attention. So quick answers instead of, instead of slow reflection. Um, the face, one of the Facebook co-founders, a guy called Stephen, uh, Sean Parker, admitted in a 2017 interview 
um, that the thought process behind Facebook was, how do we consume as much of your time and your conscious attention as possible as a company? And that's what their aim was, that's what their aim continues to be. We are not the customers of Facebook, we are the users of Facebook. The customers of Facebook are the advertisers. And the advertisers want us to click on their, their materials. So the more that we can uh, be uh, coerced into doing that, the more money uh, Facebook and co make. So too fast, too much information, too fast. And then what was, what was the third one? Too focused on us. Tell us a little bit about that one. Too focused on us. Yeah. Um, well, so when you, when you think about all the, the media platforms and stuff and all of, um, all of their technology is wide so that whatever you click on, whatever you're looking at, everything else will follow that and that kind of, yeah, that everything you're seeing is based off what you want to see, what you're interested in and that kind of like sucking all like the attention is on you and everything becomes about you. And obviously that's not how we're called to live. You noticed um, and the, the, the way it works with our tastes and the yeah. algorithms of, the, of yeah. the media platforms we use. So if you listen to Spotify and you listen to a certain kind of music, it says, you like this music, why don't you listen to this music? Or you read something on, um, or talk about something on Facebook and all of a sudden you see all these, all these adverts just suddenly appearing, telling you, yeah, why don't you book that cruise or why don't you do this or why don't you do that? And that take us along that route. Now the top five... Um, social media platforms are TikTok, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, and Instagram. And they are all uh, owned by Mark Zuckerberg's company, which is now called Meta. <laughs> and uh, if you've been reading in the paper, they, have, um, they are engaging 10,000 or so engineers to build the metaverse, as they're calling it. And um, so these top five companies, all owned by Meta, are creating a meta story. It's really interesting that um, when we read the Bible, uh, we refer to the whole story of the Bible as the meta narrative of the Bible. It's called the meta narrative. It means the big story of this world. It's a worldview, it's how we see the world. And it's important that we get a biblical worldview, a meta narrative. And it's very interesting to me that as far as everything being focused on us and centered on our attention, that now this meta universe is being built by Zuckerberg and co and these top five social media companies so that we see the world in a certain way. They choose what we see. When we Google stuff, they, their algorithms choose what we see and how we see the world. So those are the, some of the problems that are, some of the challenges that we face. Too much information, too fast and too focused on me. And so the remedy, if we want to look at that tonight, and we... There's, there's a guy um, called Albert Borgman. He's a professor uh, at the University of Montana. And um, he is a professor of philosophy. He's a Christian. And he studies the philosophy of technology and has been doing so since the 70s. He's, German, he's a German native, but he's a professor in America. Um, and what, what he says is that technology uh, has moved to the center of our lives. If you remember, those of you who do, Steve Jobs standing up with his new iPhone and this revolution of a touch screen with apps that could go in your pocket. Um, the, the, this whole kind of, the, the phone became the center of our lives and the center of our information flow, carrying around this computer in our pocket. And the reality of devices such as television and the computer, he says, uh, says Borgman, 
Um, there ought to be a common part of our conversation in our communities of faith as Christians. We need, we need to talk about this, which is what we're doing these evenings. And he says this, this professor of uh, philosophy of technology, the way to talk about them is to help people put reasonable bounds on their use of these devices. But my focus, he says, is less on setting limits than it is on creating the positive conditions in which technology becomes less compelling and different kinds of engagements thrive and flourish. So he talks about what he calls a re-engagement with focal things and practices. So rather than uh, putting down technology, he says it's so important that we have other things that we focus our lives on, focal practices, focal items. A focal thing, he says, says Professor Borgman, is something that has a commanding presence, engages your body and mind, and engages you with others. So he, um, he says, for example, a focal thing could be a guitar. It commands from me a certain kind of engagement of my body and mind. As I learn to play it, which is a focal practice, it engages me with the larger tradition of music and the community of musicians. Or the meal is a focal thing, and its preparation is a focal practice. To prepare food and to sit down with family or friends is a focal thing. Or the wilderness is a focal thing, and hiking is a focal practice. Or the stream or the trout is a focal thing, and fly fishing is a focal practice. So in the life of the Christian community, the bread and the wine are focal things. And the Lord's Supper is a focal practice. Focal things are, and our engagement with them center us in a time and space in ways that technological devices do not. A focal thing is not at the mercy of how I feel in the moment, whether the time is convenient or whatever. It's something I commit myself to. So what we're going to do tonight, Dan and I, is, is take two focal things, as Professor Borgman talks about them, using that kind of language. And the two focal things that we're going to be looking at are parts of this pyramid. We're going to be looking at nature and how we engage with nature. And we're going to be looking at books and how we engage with books. And what we're, what we're not saying is that technology is bad or technology is, uh, shouldn't be part of our lives so that we shouldn't interact with our phones or the internet or social media. But that these are not central focal things, that they become more peripheral things as we put other areas of wisdom into our lives. So nature, Dan, um, you've, read, you've read these chapters from Brett McCracken. Yeah. Tell us some of the, the things that he says when it comes to the subject of nature as a focal thing and how you engage with it as well. Perfect. Um, yeah, so, yeah, there was a couple, a couple points that kind of stuck out to me from um, reading this. Um, so the first thing for me that the book talks about is how life is bigger than us and for me how nature is humbling. Um, because, so, like, for, for me, I kind of, my engagement with nature is often with, like, I love the sky, like, sunsets, when it's, like, the clouds and the red clouds, and it's because you, you see, like, how wide it is, um, and, like, stars, stuff like that, where you really see, like, the vastness of God, and I think that causes you to see something bigger and to see that life is a lot bigger than, than we are, um, especially when we get so, like, with, with me, personally, I'm, I'm quite prideful sometimes, um, and often, um, and so it's, it's nice for me because it like, yeah, it reminds me of not how unimportant my problems are, but reminds me how, like, how much bigger God is and stuff. Um, and especially with my phone use and like using social media, 
Um, so I've deleted Instagram because I can be quite like com comparing myself to others and like that really reveals like my insecurities um, and like yeah just saying that, that with nature yeah that kind of the vastness of it and stuff um, yeah it just really helps me personally um, something else that the book talks about um, is how we see God's nature in nature um, and so obviously like Psalm 19 talks about like the, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the works of his hands. Um, and Romans 1 talks about like his eternal power and his divine nature are in nature. Um, and I think that's really powerful. Um, something really interesting that I found and that I kind of was exploring this week um, was this whole kind of idea of like the vastness and the glory in nature. So you have like the big things like the sky that I talk about. Um, but also the kind of the intricacy and the intimacy in nature that, um, you know, if you look at the body and you look at the little things, how things um, are intertwined, um, you see really like God's, you know, taking care with it. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to read some stuff from Psalm 104. So I don't know if anyone's following. Uh, give me a second. Um, Cool. So I found, I found this passage really interesting because I, I, I was like reading it through and following the kind of themes of it. Um, and the first kind of section, it talks about he's clothed with splendor and majesty. Um, it then talks about how he's kind of making the earth and how he made us and everything. Um, it says he, like, he stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. Um, and I found this... Yeah, really interesting when it says like a tent and you see how God is so big and you think about the heavens as this like massive thing and like, whoa, like for me, like to, to do that like a tent and just stretch it out that easily, it's like really shows the, the power of who he is and his like his power and control over, um, over the earth. And like it says he rebukes the waters. Um, and when you think about Jesus as well in the way that he, you know, he rebuked the waters and rebuked the storm and they and it just, you know, it stilled. Um, yeah, it really reveals like how powerful he is, um, and then to go on to more like the kind of the intricacy and the intimacy of like who God is. Um, later on in the passage, it says um, that he makes the springs pour water into the ravines. They give water to the beasts of the field. It talks about like the wild donkeys quench their thirst. He waters the mountains, um, and like this whole the whole provision of God and like how he. You know, he cares for the birds. He's looking after the trees. The passage talks about talks about humans. Um, and especially reminded me of Matthew 6, um, 25. And it talks about, you know, do not worry. Um, it talks about... Let me swap over. Yeah, it talks about, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by, add, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Um, and yeah, this whole kind of God is enough for us. His grace is enough, but also he will provide all that we need. And like, what, like the things that you are worrying about, ultimately God will provide. And um, for he, he knows, later on, verse 32 says, um, your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Um, yeah, I just found that really interesting. Um, 
Great. Yeah. So some lessons from, yeah. from nature yeah. and the greatness of God in nature. Yeah. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19. Let me read to you a, a quote from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Um, and she says this, Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. And then she says the rest sit around and pluck blackberries. So the nature of God is revealed in nature, which is what um, you mentioned Romans 1, Dan. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. And through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. One uh, writer, I think it was Calvin, said that nature is God's second book. It is like the Bible. It reveals his character. It reveals his nature. It reveals who he is. And so when we are in nature, we are in our natural habitat. Because we are creatures. We are created by God. And when we move into God's creation, we are in our natural habitat. And uh, Pope Francis said that um, the entire material universe speaks of God's love, the, his boundless affection for us, soil, water, mountains. Everything is, a, as it were, a caress of God, he said. It's like God hugging us. And have you ever felt that when you've been in nature, when you've looked at the sky or you've looked at the, the sea or the mountains and you felt that proximity of God? We were talking about this in our staff meeting this week and and David said, you know, I was out walking and I was listening to the birds and I was listening to the sea and I was listening to the wind. And I watched this guy walking past with his earphones in and his music blaring loud. And I was missing all these sounds and all of these moments of nature and connecting with God. Now, there is something that we can do where we can make nature itself a God. This is called pantheism, where, where people worship nature itself worship the sun worship the moon worship the, the the trees that's not what we're talking about here because uh, nature reflects god like a painting reflects an artist or a book reflects an author if i look at a painting by van gogh i see something of the author in the painting but he's not it's not the author the the, the painting reflects something of the painter and so as we look at nature and creation, it's not that we worship nature or creation. We worship the creator. We worship the God who painted this and who created it and who called it into being. And so it draws us to God. It reflects something of God. It declares his nature and his power and his divine characteristics. And it brings wisdom into our lives. Psalm 19, down which you mentioned, um, is that all of the heavens declare the glory of God. There is nowhere where their speech is not heard. This language is pouring forth and declaring who God is all of the time so that we are without excuse. When we look at nature, we see something of God. So there is great wisdom in this. Now, how do you engage with nature as a youngster? How do I engage? Um, <laughs> Well, like I said, I like the, the kind of views and stuff like that. Um, I'm big into running. I love running. Um, me and Sam used to run every Sunday morning. We'd do a half marathon before church. Um, yeah, I, I like the kind of the piece of it and the, as you're running through it. And like, obviously, there's the physical benefits of it. Um, 
But yeah, I also just like kind of the stillness of, I don't know, sitting down or like you're going for a run and yeah, that's kind of, that's how I engage with it. Yeah. How about yourself? How? Yeah, I had a similar experience. You can tell that we're both runners by looking at yeah. our <laughs> <laughs> It's not that funny. Uh, so uh, in the summer, I, we went to the Yorkshire Dales and uh, I, some days I just went out and I, I ran through the Yorkshire Dales and it was amazing. One day I ran... 10 miles through the dales and uh, I just felt so, so good, <laughs> so released, so just surrounded by these beautiful, beautiful hills and dales and, and sheep and, and the smells and the, and the sounds and it really, really refreshed me and uh, I felt so good for it. Um, um, yeah, just I think being out in nature and I think we're so blessed in Plymouth because we have the sea and we have the coast, and yet we have the moors and uh, the surrounding areas. We have so many beautiful areas. Uh, I think if we get out into those areas, um, you know, it is good for our, for our souls. Mm. We once went to one place with our kids, and, and we're like, look at this, look at this. And I think Isaac, half-jokingly, but he said, oh, I can watch that on YouTube. You know, so it's like, <laughs> it's not quite the same. <laughs> you have to get out into it and experience it and breathe it. So there is something of of nature, which is one of these focal points that uh, Professor Borgman is talking about. And there is wisdom in nature. And if we, can, if we can bring that into our lives as an aspect of our lives more and more, get out walking, running, sitting, encountering God in nature, uh, it brings something fresh and, and wisdom bringing into our hearts and into our lives. The other thing that we wanted to focus on tonight, Dan, uh, was was books and the next layer of our, of our pyramid um, in, in how to bring wisdom into our lives, to displace technology at the center and to bring in other aspects uh, into our lives. In our distracted age, books give us perspective, focus and space to reflect reading books, a wide variety from a different eras and places and worldviews, both fiction and non-fiction keeps our self-centeredness in check, says Brett McCracken. First of all, he says that books help us connect um, by stepping into somebody else's shoes. They bring empathy into our lives. Because if I read somebody else's story or somebody else's writing, I can, I can grow in empathy. I can experience life through somebody else's shoes and eyes and ears. Books help us to explore as well different parts of the world. Last night, I was in America in 1960s America with the hippies and I was in 1930s Yorkshire um, <laughs> because I read last night I read the memoir of uh, Philip Yancey who grew up in uh, the hippies uh, the culture of uh, 60s America and was telling his story and the story of his brother and so I was reading that and from my bedroom in Plymouth I was experiencing I was exploring I was being exposed to um, somebody else's life, another era, another experience. And then I read James Herriot's um, veterinary stories from 1930s Yorkshire in the Yorkshire Dales. And so I was, I was in the Yorkshire Dales in the 1930s uh, and experiencing that because books help us to explore and to see worlds and windows that we would otherwise never see. And the other thing that uh, the book says that, that, that brings wisdom into our lives is that books help us to think well. Um, in that they, they, by long immersive reading, uh, compared with the fragmented and the quick scan reading that we do online, 
it brings us to a place of, of, um, of good thinking. So um, Brett McCracken says, reading is a powerful booster shot for our brains at a time when they are increasingly weakened by digital overload. Um, so there's, there's a lot there in, in reading that can bring wisdom. Uh, what's been your experience of it, Dan? And you were going to talk about a book that you've been reading yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, firstly, I think as well, um, the book talks about um, how less, it was saying like less stimulation causes deeper reflection. Right. Um, and like for nature and books as well, like sitting, sometimes just sitting and like there's less going on. There's nothing to just let your mind wander with. But that really causes you to like think and to think deeper about things, especially with a book, and you just sit with it for a bit. Um, yeah, for me, um, I mean, my book list isn't as big as Jeff's, but I, this has been like, this has been probably the, the biggest book in my life that I've read and just really challenged me. Um, yeah, Beth bought it for me last year um, before we were going out. But um, yeah, it just really, it's about, so it's about, um, it's about God. It's called God Has a Name, sorry. Yeah, it's called God Has a Name by John Mark Comer. Um, and um, it just talks about who God is. It talks about his nature. It, it does it in, um, in four steps. So it talks about, it's about Exodus, Exodus 34, which is the kind of abounding in love and all of that. Um, and it says, it does it in four steps. It talks about God. It goes into kind of the Hebrew and like what it means about God. It talks about um, stories and other places in the Bible that those words are used. Then it talks about Jesus and how like Jesus reflects that as well. Um, and then it links it to us. The, the biggest thing for me um, has been how it's shown like God and Jesus are the same God. I think I often did this whole kind of God's the big angry God and Jesus is the loving person who came to die. Um, but yeah, it really like shows the consistency throughout the Bible and how, yeah, it's the same God and who he is. Um, so that's been quite yeah. a transformative book for you and taking yeah. you to places that yeah. Yeah. you hadn't been before and you hadn't thought about before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. Um, now, of course, not everyone's a reader, and I understand that, and um, there are, you know, there are audio books as well that you can listen to if you're not a great reader, and you would struggle to read. Um, there's different levels of reading, so by us talking about reading tonight and books, it's not to in any way intimidate or to put down those that are not big readers, but it's to encourage this aspect of, of wisdom in our lives and maybe to encourage us a little bit more in that direction or to, to get a couple of good audio books and to listen to those. Uh, just as I, as I skimmed my bookshelves before I came out, I just, thought, I, I just thought I'd get a selection of books and pull them out and just whiz you through them, not, not, to, go, not to give a praise of them, but just to say how books have greatly influenced my life and... Um, and greatly helped me at, at different phases of my, of my life. Um, so I, I, got a I got a selection here. Um, <laughs> it's just a selection. Um, but it, it's just to say the breadth of it, really. Um, let me start with a book by Tom Hanks on typewriters. Um, these are just short stories by Tom Hanks, but it's just really interesting writing. It's peculiar and it's odd and it takes you to places that you wouldn't have otherwise go. But reading good fiction is really good for your brain and your imagination. And um, it's just such, a, it's such an escapist thing to do in a good way as well, to take you places that you wouldn't otherwise go. I read um, one day in a cafe, I read a book on forgiveness that, 
that deeply affected me. It was, uh, it was by the author Lewis Smeads, and he wrote two books. Um, he's, he's died recently, but he wrote the book The Art of Forgiving, um, When You Need to Forgive and You Don't Know How. Um, he also wrote a book called Forgive and Forget, Healing the Hurts That We Don't Deserve. I've grown up in church, and I've heard a lot of stuff about forgiveness, and some of it I found really oppressive, like you just have to forgive, <laughs> forgive everybody, forgive everything. But I found these books really helpful to understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't, uh, and what reconciliation is and what it isn't. And so that was a very, these were very transformative books for me, and uh, I preached some stuff on the back of having, having read them. I read this last year, it's called This Tender Land by William Kent Kruger, and it is just a great story. It's a story about four orphan boys and their adventures. They go along the Mississippi River. It's a little bit Huckleberry Finnish, um, but I've, I read it and I just thought it was wonderful fiction. Uh, William Kent Kruger, and then started reading some of his other stuff. There was a period in my life where I read a lot of John Ortberg um, several years ago, and uh, I read this, The Life You've Always Wanted, which was a book about uh, spiritual disciplines and how to bring them into our lives. And I, I remember again sitting in a cafe reading this and digesting it and underlining it and putting it into practice. And it was really, really helpful to me. I read this book last year and it's called English Pastoral. Uh, this is by a farmer in uh, the Lake District. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's not a Christian book but it marries these two subjects of books and nature. It's about looking after the land. It's about what it is to farm in this age, what it is to look after animals and God's creation. And it's a beautifully written book and uh, I found it very immersive. It's called English Pastoral and Inheritance. I once read a book on how to read a book, uh, which was really helpful. <laughs> um, I read this book by uh, Eugene Peterson called The Pastor, and this is a memoir. I love memoirs because memoirs take you to places in people's lives and experiences. If you sometimes say, I wish I could have a mentor, or I wish I could have somebody to speak into my life, or somebody older and wiser, we can't always find those people in our immediate circle. Um, but you can find mentors in books and authors. You can find mentors that are dead now but have great wisdom. And uh, Eugene Peterson died recently, but he is the one pastor who's the most influenced my thinking and my ministry. And so I read his memoir, The Pastor, which was brilliant. But also early on in my ministry as a pastor, I read his trilogy on pastoral ministry, Working the Angles, um, Five Smooth Stones for Pastoral Work, and The Contemplative Pastor. I remember reading this one, The Contemplative Pastor, sat on a French hillside with a cup of coffee overlooking a French valley and underlining that book. And it was, again, a marriage of nature and books. Um, but it was, it was really transformative, and it, and it really, really blessed me and helped me. But it, it really affected my thinking. Wendell Berry is an author that is... Uh, He's uh, based in Kentucky. He's a farmer, but he's a poet, and he's an author as well. He's written loads of stuff, but his writing is all about nature and about God and about encountering God and looking after the land. He's written stories, but he's written a, a lot about uh, modern farming as well. But Wendell Berry is a Christian, a, a farmer and a poet, and uh, he, he writes beautifully, and I've read a few of his things. And then a book that I recommended for my daughter, Beth, was on how to read the Bible. Uh, and I found this book several years ago by Scott McKnight. It's called The Blue Parakeet. 
And um, it's, it's how do we interpret the Bible? Like, you were deeply affected um, by this book by John Mark Comer, Dan, and it really helped you understand God and some of the seeming contradictions that are in the Bible about who God is and his nature yeah. and his character. And what this book is all about is how do we interpret the Bible? Why do we take bits of it and say that we follow it? And other bits we say, well, well, that was for them and that's not for now. So why do we not follow all the laws of Leviticus that tell us that we're not supposed to wear certain clothes or we're not supposed to grow our hair in a certain way or we're not supposed to eat certain foods? Why do we say some of that was cultural and yet other bits in the Bible we say, no, that's the law of God and we should follow it? And what Scott McKnight does is in a very readable way, he talks us through how to interpret the Bible, uh, how to read it, how to understand it, how to apply it to our lives. And so that, that was a book I recommended to, to Beth, my daughter, and uh, it's a book that I found really helpful. So, I, I, you know, I could go on, but I, I grabbed just a few books to make the point of, of how, how these things can greatly influence our lives and good fiction, good nonfiction, memoirs, and what C.S. Lewis says is, um, for every new book, every three new books you read, read an old book. Read an, an old book, read a classic. Read something that stands the test of time, that has stood for years, and, and the wisdom that is found in that. And this is so enriching for us. And what, what I found, Dan, over, over time with the advent of the internet and social media and, uh, and scanning, like, I'm, I'm not into Facebook and stuff, but I am into reading blogs and reading the newspaper online and stuff, is that I can read a lot of stuff, I can skim, 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 and I find it really dissatisfying. But if I can get into a good book, and I feel it brings wisdom and, and health and well-being. Have you ever sat and watched telly for two hours? Does it make you feel better or worse? Or I don't know what effect does that have on you. It's kind of like the two hours just hasn't been there. Yeah. Kind of just you've skipped two hours of your life. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't, it's like eating Chinese food or <laughs> yeah. a takeaway. It's like, it doesn't feel nourishing in some ways but, um, or satisfying. So I think what we're trying to say with, with books is, um, is, is that it is a source of wisdom. It is one of these focal practices that Professor Borgman is talking about. And... Um, you know, I was talking to Jenny and, and how somebody gifted her the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe when her parents were missionaries to Germany. And she, she fell into this world of, of, uh, of the, the stories of C.S. Lewis and, and Aslan. And the beauty of those stories deeply affected her childhood. And she read them all to our children as well. And uh, we, um, so, so these, these stories can have a, a really, really deep effect mm. on us, yeah. like that book that you've just read. And so uh, I would encourage you uh, to, to use this source of, of wisdom. Read old books, read books that challenge you, but read books that you enjoy as well. And if you don't know what to read, or even joking aside, you don't know how to read, like how to read a book in a good way, then there's plenty of stuff out there that can help you with that, and including in the wisdom pyramid in this book. Some closing thoughts, Dan, as we've looked at this subject tonight. We've looked at, um, what, let's recap. So what are our three problems in this uh, digital age that we've been looking at these last three weeks? Taking in too much information, yeah. um, doing it too fast and skimming and not having deep reflection, yeah. and then reading things that are too focused on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we've looked at um, 
the two aspects of nature and books and kind of in summary what what do you think we've said about that tonight and how how can we apply that to our to our lives how are you um, going to apply it to your life this week how are you going to live this out in this information age that we live in well they're both very important i think um i guess the main thing is just if it's not something that's like that's not natural to you or something you don't do often i mean like just give it a go I mean, like, go for walks, like, what, a 15-minute walk in the morning? What's that? Um, and just, like, yeah, really try them out. Try a book. Start with something you enjoy, whatever it is, fiction, nonfiction, and just, yeah, do these things, just the heart of it, to try and get to know God a bit deeper, and, you know, what's the worst that can happen, I guess? <laughs> yeah, so, and last week, um, Paul set us some homework. Can you remember what it was? <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I? Was it... Was it about phone and not going on your phone for 24 hours? Was that, or was that a different one? Oh, that was Young Adults. Um, yeah. I see. Okay. So keep a, keep a log, yeah, of, uh, of your phone use. You look at your screen time and then look at how much you're engaging with the Bible. That was Paul's homework last week. So our homework this week is get out into nature in some way. Encounter God through nature. Read Psalm 19. Um, go for a walk. Go for a run. Meet someone outside. Um, and start to use this source of wisdom to find and discover the attributes of God. Um, the second book of God. And maybe if you're not a big reader or you are a reader but you've kind of lost your mojo with reading. Is uh, pick up a book. Pick up an old book. A favorite book. Reread a book that you loved once. Or if you're not into reading, start, download something from Audible and listen to it and uh, engage with this beautiful source of wisdom. Because what we're not about saying in this series is phones are bad and social media is bad and the internet's bad. But what we do want is a balanced diet. We want a wisdom pyramid. At the bottom, we want the word of God. Paul challenged us this week, read a part of the Bible that you haven't read before. So I read this, oh, you haven't read for a long time, so this week I read Amos uh, from start to finish, because I don't really read Amos very often. I can't say I felt very inspired, but it was, uh, <laughs> I had a go. <laughs> well, keep going, but uh, yeah, so keep, you know, the wisdom of the Bible, the wisdom of the church, the wisdom of nature, the wisdom of books. Next week, uh, Rachel and Hamish are going to lead us into the wisdom of beauty and art and uh, you know, they may have some really good things to say about that. And then the top of the pyramid, the social media and the internet. So that's where we're going. And then Tash and Jordan will wrap it all up for us in a couple of weeks' time.